forgiveness. That's what we're talking about today. And as I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, wow, should I have a funny story or something along that line to kind of get us started? I, I honestly didn't come up with anything like that. I just came up with this simple thought that as I, as I studied this this week, I've been digging into it for the last couple of weeks, but as I really put my teeth into it this week, folks, this is one of the single greatest things that brings life change. Everything involved around forgiveness. It's not just the act of forgiving where we try, it's everything around it. I, I was studying, it's like, oh, wow, no wonder this is the heart of the gospel, the cross where God forgives us. No wonder this is the heart of it all because in it are all the things that bring real change in our hearts and our character. It's all the things that help people really be one with one another because all around us are things like um, the, the need to be really honest with yourself and another person, moving out of denial, the ability to really repent, which means not just to try and get out of something and, and do damage control so you can keep going, but to really get into your heart and say, where's the pride, where's the sin, what is going on here? What, what's causing this that creates a situation where I need to be forgiven again? It calls for real, honest confession. That is not just some kind of general thing, but it's a particular, God, it's this specifically that I ask that you, um, as I agree with you, is going on. And then it's the incredible gift that we can give and that we actually receive first from God that we give to others where they begin to walk no longer in a way where you're holding them into account or you're judging them, but you're letting them go. And, and with that, is also the growth for you to begin to start putting together what kind of boundaries are needed so that trust can really grow so that this person can grow up. I mean, that's, that's all around this whole concept of forgiveness. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote these poignant words. He said, many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. Whoa, there's a sinner here. So we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. It's real easy to come here and to have that going on right now. We're all dressed, looking really nice, and we all kind of look at each other, and we think, well, they really got their act together, and the reality is we don't. We really, really need God. We need each other. And he says, he who is alone with his sins is utterly alone. Today's prayer, what Jesus offers when he says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, is the opportunity to no longer to be alone. To be amidst a community of sinners who acknowledge it and aren't play-acting and not denial and not in self-righteousness, but acknowledge our need and then experience forgiveness from him and then begin to create a community where we really forgive one another and all those good things take place and we grow. And this new way to pray we've been talking about is not because Jesus is trying to teach something novel. It's not because he's trying to do something brand new. He's taking familiar truths that, it, that, we, so often, um, uh, that we so often lose the intent of it and the heart of it. And he in, begins to infuse them with a new sense of reality. And this new sense of reality is because we take commands and we just try and do the external side of them. 
And he says, no, 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 it's not about, you know, don't commit murder, it's about hate. It's not about don't commit adultery, it's about lust. That's where it all grows from. And then he at one point says, let me tell you a new way, to, a new way to love. And he said, new command, this new command is to love one another. And they're all going, yeah, right. And then he adds, love one another as I loved you. That puts a whole new spin on it. It puts a whole new sense of intent. And this new way to pray is Jesus basically saying, let me teach you what it means to be prayerful in dependence upon God your Father. And that's why he begins. And this is the way it's new. It's unique. It gets to the heart of what prayer is all about. And you need to remember the context. It's what I think Jesus wants us to understand probably more than anything as we begin this whole prayer, this Lord's Prayer, is the context in which we come to God. We come to God as our Father. And everywhere in this prayer, you need to remember, this is about our dada. It's the Abba, Aramaic word meaning Papa. It's it's like a little child coming before Dad and saying, Dad. And he goes on and he says, in the context of this, you remember, he goes down to this point where he says, Dad, forgive me the things I do wrong, like a little child. And help me to begin to forgive those who do these little wrongs against me. And Jesus begins this prayer by acknowledging that God is his father. And as a child, he's this little child who just wants his dad's honor more than anything. So he makes these acknowledgments that he's their father, we're a family. He acknowledges in, in a request that you, God, would be, your name would be honored. My father, would your name be honored. And, and father, may it be that your will, the way that we get to experience your goodness and the influence of your goodness throughout every day, the way we do this in heaven, the way I remember it in heaven, says Jesus, would you make that happen here on earth for us? And then after he makes these requests to his father, he now turns to himself. And I think it's really important when you think about prayer. He's building the context of who he's praying to and what really should be that he wants to get in line with all this. And then he makes this statement. He says, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. I like the way Dallas Willard says this. He says, give us today the things we need today. He kind of expands it a little more. Give us today the things we need today. Because if you really think about it, if you really want to follow Jesus, if you're involved at all with any other person in your life, one of the things you're going to probably need every day throughout your life is forgiveness. That is one of the things that we need. We'll need to live this day before the Lord in humility and honesty and vulnerability and the courage to both forgive others freely and to go to others and ask for forgiveness. It's a life that's committed to the awareness where you own up to the debt-causing offenses that you have done in someone else's life, but it's also the life that begins to say, when someone has borrowed against my goodness and has caused a debt, I will also forgive because I have learned this incredible truth that I am forgiven before God and my debt before him is so much greater than my debt to anyone else. And so Jesus prays, forgive us our offenses as we forgive those who offend us. I was, praying, I was just kind of writing this stuff down. You don't have to just use trespasses or debtors or offenses. You can use all kinds of different things if you pray this on a daily basis. Forgive me, God, for how I fail you. And then think about how you fail others or fail, people have failed you. Forgive me, God, for how I have rebelled against you and forgive me how I rebel. I find my heart standing in rebellion against someone else or rebelling even to give forgiveness. Implied in this prayer is this truth that every child must grow in the awareness of the need for relational health. 
Every day we need to be reminded, and this is why I think he has us pray these words of forgiveness. We need to be reminded if we are going to remain connected to him and to others in a healthy way. Every day we need to experience the, the whole context of this idea of forgiveness. Because Jesus is well aware of the importance of healthy relationships. And that's why he makes it central to his prayer. Matthew literally says it this way. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now, we say trespasses, and we'll probably continue to because it's just one that everyone knows, and we say that together in that way. But really, in the, in the Greek, the word is more the idea of debt. It's the idea that someone has borrowed against your goodness. Someone has caused you pain and left a debt in your soul, so to speak. There's a sense where you have, you have left a debt before God due to your sin and your offense before him, and something has to be paid. The implied truth in this line of prayer is like this. God, our Father who fills the heavens, we, may we forgive others as freely as you forgive us. And so today's message is going to be two points. Pretty easy, pretty quick. Forgive us, Father. And like you, Dad, we will forgive freely. Forgive us, Father. Jesus begins by talking about forgiveness by addressing our need to be forgiven by God. And this is extremely important. Because good connection with others ultimately flows from a good connection with God. Jesus really knew that. When, people, when a person came up to him and said, tell me what the greatest commandment is, Jesus immediately thought of the very first and great commandment, which is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your um, strength, and with all your mind. But he didn't stop there, because he knew that it's not just a vertical relationship. There's, there's a second commandment. He says it's just necessarily... A, tied to this because you also need to know that it's not just about this vertical relationship it's a horizontal one because if you have good connection up here it has to begin to result in good connection down here you're fooling yourself if you think you have a good connection with God but you have a messed up relationship with others I just said tell you don't don't play the game like you're holy because you think you got a good you know oh God you forgive me but you got messed up relationships with others now you live at peace as you can with most people you do all that you can, but it means that you do all that you can. And so he, he makes this. There's a second one that says, just as involved, just as important, love your neighbor as yourself. Well-being with God flows into well-being with others. That's something to think about. Well-being with God flows into well-being with others. It's just the way the gospel works. And the reason it works like this is because when you, when you put yourself like a child before your father, children, if their fathers are teaching them, should begin to learn how to do certain things. And so what happens when you live in a, a right relationship with God, your father, he begins to teach you what it means to trust. He teaches you patience. He teaches you what it means to be humble and what it means for, to be a person who, who understands what it, kindness should look like. He teaches you all those things because you get it from him. He gives you those things so that you can then begin to do it to someone else. And when, we're well, and when we are well connected to God our Father, we then, if we're obedient children, have the ability to be well connected with our brothers and sisters, and not just the ones we like, all of God's children. Even weird Uncle Al and crazy cousin Susie. Remember the context. Dad, forgive me. I, I said that a lot as a kid. I, I, I have to tell you, when I was a kid, I remember um, certain occasions where I would say that quite a bit. And it was usually Sunday mornings. My dad was a pastor. And 
we would spend the whole day in church. And I remember my mom pinching me and separating my brother and I. And I remember my dad. He was really good from the pulpit. I don't think I could do this, but from the pulpit, he could give us the evil eye. And I've told the story before. I remember when my mom went time in an evening service. I was just, I, I don't know, maybe it was sugar up or something. I don't know. But she just sat there and, and she said, you're going to spank you for this. She started naming them about three. And she got like up to nine, ten in her, down her hands every time I do something. Now, you know, I don't know how she did 11, but I knew that it kept going up. Here's a question I like to think about. When you think about, Father, forgive me how well you say this, is there anybody here who has never once disobeyed your dad or your parent or your guardian? Anybody? Raise your hand if you've never once. Okay, now let me do this. If you have disobeyed uh, one of your parents more than two times, raise your hands. So only, I mean, keep them up. Come on, come on. This is, this is, this is good for the soul. This is confession. How many have disobeyed your parents five times? Come on, keep them up there. What's, not, not these little things. Get them up there. Be proud of them. No. Anybody disobeyed more than 20 times? How about 100 times? Well, you know, I knew you were a bad bunch of people. I, I, when, when I was given this pastoral assignment, I had no idea how difficult it would be. Here's what Jesus is saying in line with this. There are two things when it comes to forgiveness we need to recognize. We need to recognize that every one of us has sinned before our Father. If you've sinned before your earthly dad, you have sinned before your heavenly Father. And he says there's two things that need to happen in forgiveness. One is forgiveness needs to establish our connection with God. It talks about a right relationship. If you've never done that, you need to do that. And then the second thing he talks about is maintaining that relationship. This is all under this idea of Father, forgive us. And here's how Jesus explains it. He describes it in 1 John 13. It's the night before he's going to give his life as a sacrifice for our sins, pay the penalty that we couldn't pay so that we could have a right relationship with God. And Jesus is at supper with his disciples. You know that one where they take the picture and they're all sitting on one side of the table? Well, he's at supper with them and he's talking to them. And, and, and prior to the supper, none of his disciples are humble enough to, to do anything like to wash their feet. So Jesus kind of says, guys, line up. I want to wash your feet. Partially, he's obviously showing that he's going to be a servant, but partially he's doing it because when you would sit in those days and have a meal, your feet would be next to the next guy and it would be kind of stinky. So, you know, we're going to eat in a moment. I'm going to, I'm going to wash your feet. And, and Peter protests, no way, you are never going to wash my feet. And Jesus, who always likes to get things deeper than what just the words we're using here, he says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then Lord says, Peter, well, then not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. It's Peter's way of saying... I want all of you. And Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And, and you are clean. And then he says, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said that not everyone was clean. You see, not everyone here necessarily is clean. That means that you come to a place where you establish your relationship, where you understand in, in your sin and your need before God. And when you understand that, and you come to a place of where you're, there's a brokenness for what the pain that you have caused him or the pain you have caused someone else. I don't know how you get there, but you get to this point and you go, Dad, I've, I've, I've blown it. Would you forgive me? That very act establishes a relationship where it says it's like taking a bath. That's what Jesus says. Not every one of you who are my disciples need this bath. You just need your feet to be washed. You just need to maintain what's been already established. 
Here's the point. To have a relationship with God requires that you first have to have a bath. That means you have to have at one point in your life come to him, recognizing your need of him, recognizing your sin, confessing that, and then asking to be forgiven. And that establishes a relationship. They are now born into his family. And just because you sin after that doesn't mean you're no longer a child. You are still his child. Now it's a matter of maintaining that relationship. Once you receive him, you are, your sins are forgiven from the past, the present, and into the future. But now it's what Jesus says. It's like you need your feet washed. In this prayer, Jesus is calling upon those children who have established the right relationship through a bath of forgiveness. Here's what he's talking to. He's talking to you who have established this to now live daily with a washing of forgiveness because your feet are going to get dirty every day. Your salvation doesn't depend on your maintaining of a good relationship with God, a humble heart, a broken spirit, an ability to be in right relationship with others is dependent on this. We need to daily examine our hearts before God and wash up by maintaining our relationship with Him. And here's what's kind of interesting. He talks about abiding with Him. That's the way you maintain it. So that after this 13, in chapter 13, he talks about this. At a certain point, um, Judas leaves. And so now he's just talking to the 11. The guy who wasn't clean, who wouldn't establish a relationship, who's living in pride, who didn't have this relationship, who didn't come to, to Jesus to be in, in forgiveness in that relationship. He now talks to the 11, and at one point Jesus says to these guys, he says, guys, I'm the true vine and my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he trims clean. Here's a trimming clean, a feet washing kind of experience, so that they will be more fruitful. He's not talking about a bath here. He's talking about the trimming that, you know, if you, you think of a horticultural thing now, where you take away those, those, those sucker branches, those things that are going to keep you from the fruitfulness that needs to be. And that's what he's talking about. In this prayer, when you say, Father, forgive us our sins, there is the establishment that happens in your life where you are forgiven for past, present, and future. But now there is a daily walking before God where you come before him and you say, God, where did I get my feet dirty today? Where do I need some trimming so that I could be more fruitful? What's getting in the way? Today we live aware of the sinful separations with God. This kind of prayer, if you begin to move into this place on a regular basis with your Father in heaven, can open your heart to begin to have that kind of heart that can translate into the lives of others. What I think is really interesting and very important here is that when Jesus says you need this kind of daily cleansing, Forgive us our debts, Father. He then moves immediately to, in the way you do this, we will do this. Not, not I'd like to do this or it would be nice to do this. But if you're here and you kind of are saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, you don't have an option. This is what happens to a person who is living in that relationship. So you move to the second, and like you, Dad, we, your children, freely forgive. Now, when you pray that, can you say that? See, a lot of times what we try to do is we try to go, oh, that's not a big deal, but it keeps bubbling up. If it keeps bubbling up, it's a big deal. We try to repress it. We, a lot of times, try and use um, all the whole forgiveness stuff as a way to control, you know, it's a damage control thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm really sorry, you know. It, it, we pray, like, forgive us our trespasses. Like, come on, give me a break. You never really deal with the pride and get down to the real issue. 
because you really just want to get things better. You know, any, anybody that, I've done that in my marriage. Anybody done that? There, you know, it's kind of like, oh man, I'm really sorry. But what you're really sorry about is things aren't really as good. Just let's get back to the equilibrium. That doesn't do a thing for a relationship. It's about saying, how do I move to a new place? And how do I use this so that I freely forgive? And that in that process of being freely forgiven, I understand that something in me before God has to change. I think Jesus' heart is so cool. It's one with the Father. He came to make us one as a family. So then you listen to his final words, because final words for someone are just really important. When a person is on their deathbed and they're saying the last things, usually you kind of listen up, right? I think John the Apostle was listening up because Jesus prayed a final prayer before he died. And he says in his final prayer, I pray for those who will believe in me through my disciples' message, that all of them may be one. Just, Father, as you are in me and I am in you, may they be brought to complete unity. And here's the reason why, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved me even as you have loved them even as you've loved me. And I think that's so powerful. He's not saying, I don't think that the unity itself is what tracks the world. I think he's saying all the stuff that makes that happen. Because in the world, people don't get real. They don't get authentic about what really hurts one another. They, they don't really deal with it in a community. You know, let me just tell you, community is not an easy thing. We think it's such a simple thing. And if you just do things to try and keep people happy, it just doesn't happen in your family. It doesn't happen in this community. It doesn't happen in the workplace. It doesn't happen at the school. Community is something you invest in because you believe in a God who's forgiven you and you understand what it means to come before him vulnerably and open and honest and saying, just as I am. It's no longer a song, but we begin to say that to one another, just the way I am. Here's, here's what it is, and I come before you. And you work together, and you work together for unity. That is what the world looks on and goes, Wow! God's at that place. I think we mess that up a little bit. We just think, well, if we're all unified, you can get places that are uniform, and I don't think it tells you a thing about God. But real community, common unity that comes through a, the hard work of relationship where you begin to, to show up with what you've really maybe done or what someone's done to you. And you do the hard work where you pay the price in a similar way because you're like Jesus. And you say, you know what, I guess there was a debt against me, but I'm not going to hold you any longer over that. That's why Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Without forgiveness, genuine community is impossible. I don't think, I don't want to be, I don't think you want to be a part of another church where it's just kind of pseudo community, we're doing a lot of good things. I think we want to be a part of a church when people come here, they go, wow, God's alive. There's people who are really learning how to, when they make a mistake or they feel offended, they're going to one another and they're working through it. And they still may disagree, but they still have enough love to stay connected. Unity through the gift of forgiveness is what Jesus calls us to do. It means people are truly confessing and getting real with who they are and offering their real selves in a safe place where vulnerability is possible. And in this sense, you can actually say, I can show up here as I really am. 
And you can sing songs like Just As I Am Without a Plea that is not just to God, but it's to other people. And forgiveness involves repentance and confession and all that goes with it. And if you want a healthy community, you want a healthy family, a healthy marriage, healthy friendships, forgiveness is the heart of it. So I'm just going to share with you five things quickly about forgiving freely because that's the thing that I think we don't do well and I could share a whole lot of things. But one is forgiving freely means just letting go. That's the best word. The word forgive in many ways means to let go. It means that you will no longer punish a person for their actions done towards you. You step away from the role of being a judge and you turn it over to God. You, like Jesus did in, in, in Peter's account, 1 Peter, where he says this. He says, when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he didn't retaliate. And when he suffered, Jesus made no threats back. You ever done that? You usually want to retaliate and tell you, we're not the kind of people who retaliate face to face. We usually retaliate like this. I want us to be really real about this because we don't really retaliate often. The world retaliates more like this, right? But in Minnesota nice Christian communities, we retaliate like this. And we don't maybe make threats to one another, but under our breath we make threats. And Jesus didn't do that. He says, I love this. Instead, Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He let it go. One of the most uh, moving experiences in my life was when I was at a point, I was seeing a therapist. And yes, if you um, ever want to think about it because you think your marriage needs it or you need it, it's a good thing if you go to the right ones. I was seeing a therapist and I was saying, you know what, I have some issues with my dad and I want to be closer to him. And, and yet I'm really have some anger around this and I want to confront him. And he goes, oh, maybe you shouldn't think of confronting him. He said, maybe you should think about giving him a gift. I said, what do you mean? He goes, you just want your real self to be more connected to him, right? And I go, yeah, exactly. He goes, well, then just come to him and say, you know, there's some things that are getting in the way and I really want to be, and this is a gift that I'd like to give. He may not receive it. And so we had this long car ride and we went from one place to my, my, my grandmother's place in Fort Myers and we had that whole time and I talked with him and he shared with me as I shared some of these things. He said, you know, really, that's not really how I saw it when you were a child, Kevin. And so we, that was helpful, clarified some. Then there were some things that I brought up that I really expected from him. He said, you know, I failed you there. And there were some that he copped out on. And I remember, though, at a certain point, I realized I had to let it go. I did, and I let it go. I forgave. I didn't even realize I was forgiving, but I let it go, and I said, you know what? I realized this incredible truth. He didn't have, he couldn't give me what he didn't have. That's such a freeing thing. Now, maybe he should have picked it up at some point in his life, but he didn't have it to give me, so what am I going to do holding over him? Some people don't have what you think they need to give you. And forgiveness says let them go. Put them in God's hands. Another area is not just letting go, it's owning up. This is a huge, important thing, I think, in this whole area of forgiveness. And this is the other side of it, not giving it. It's the one where you come and you ask for forgiveness. And I think when people ask for forgiveness, if you're like me, it's been a learning process over a number of years, really learning what it means to own up. So one of the great gifts of forgiveness is when you get real, admit you're wrong, feel the shame, bear the guilt of doing wrong, and then vulnerably admit it to someone else. That takes more courage than you can believe. It's humbling because it means you won't shift blame. It means you won't make excuses. You won't wimp out. You won't live in denial regarding your wrongdoing. 
It means you won't try and do damage control. It means that you will courageously just say, I did this. And you won't just say it in a general sense. You'll say it in a very specific, concrete way. I did these things. There's an author who writes this. One, quote, I lied to my boss and said I was working when I wasn't because I wanted to avoid trouble can bring about more honesty and change than 20 variations of I haven't been truthful enough. Getting specific. That's why I think so often in the 12 steps of the uh, fourth step, specifically of AA, is so important because it says to be fearless and ruthlessly um, taking a moral inventory and then getting specific about it. Owning up calls for taking appropriate responsibility for what you've done, and it's tough. I had a meeting a couple weeks ago for about an hour and 45 minutes with an individual, and at one point I recognized that I could, I, I, I could feel that I could be shifting blame. There were other people who could take responsibility for it, but at one point, I know I'm the lead pastor. I, I, it was, you know, it's one of those things you just feel embarrassed and you feel shame, and I just had to own up, and I owned up, and I looked them in the eyes, and I said, guess what? I was wrong, and I really feel bad that I hurt you. Please forgive me. And usually in those kind of situations, oh, no, you don't need to. You don't need to. And I said, no, I do. What's really important in the moment when you own up is the moment you own up, you really begin to experience life change because if you really get honest to own up. See, when I confessed, confessed to this friend and with the embarrassment I felt failing to be less than I had desired to be, when I looked at the results of my actions and as honestly as I could, a really wonderful thing happened. As I vulnerably admitted my offense and owned up for my shortcoming, I found myself not wanting to do that again. You ever been there? I've done that in some of the situations. You go, I am not, I'm resolved to not do that again. That's owning up. Another thing about forgiveness is relationship first. We don't live in a culture where we put relationship first. But forgiving freely as the Father forgives us is about putting our relationship first ahead of being right. You may be so right in your mind. But one great thing about forgiveness is the opportunity um, to put the relationship as being more important than being right. Most marriages suffer most at this point of wanting to be right. I find that in myself. I, I want to move to a place. And it's not even that I want to be right in my mind as much as I want to feel all right. Forgiveness allows two people to stay in relationship even though they don't see things the same way. It opens doors to humility and understanding and friendship. So this past week, as Pastor Paul was here and we had this funeral for Dorothea and I saw people that I, that I know are not a part of our church or who are part of our family and I saw my heart is, I just, I bless them. And we may not see things the same way here, but we're walking together for eternity, so why wouldn't I want to walk now? With them, even though we may see things differently and even be in different communities for a while. The whole goal of living as one is not being uniform, but it's having a heart that says, even though we may not see, I love you, I bless you, I care for you as God leads you. It's about relationship first, it's about freedom for you. Here's a great thing about forgiveness it's not really a gift you're giving someone else. We all think it's about, well, I'm going to let them off the hook. No, forgiveness is not about setting someone else free, it's about setting yourself free from their past action. It's unhooking yourself from the pain of their offense. And the one who has injured you is, is, he may be free from your judgment, but still stands under the judgment of God until they get things right before God. 
Because Jesus entrusted all insults and threats to God, his Father who fills the heaven and who sits on this throne in heaven and will someday make every wrong right. That's our faith. That's our hope. So let yourself be free. Forgive. And then the last, I just want to show you, it's obedience to God. When it really comes down to it, folks, forgiveness is just about choosing to do so. It's a choice. It's, it's a choice that says, I will make this step of forgiveness. Now, I want you to think about this. As we begin to prepare to worship in a moment, I want you to think about this choice of forgiveness. I remember when I read and then had an opportunity to hear Corey Tenboom speak about her situation when she was speaking one day at a place in Germany and when she was she had been doing this now she'd been on the road for a while and then when she's speaking this one particular day there was a man in the audience who at the end started coming up to her and that man was the man who was one of the most horrendous persecutors of her family even saw some of them put to death and she said I saw him and I had at that moment a choice to make Will I live out what I really do what I've been talking about and she chose to forgive but she said this forgiveness is like ringing a bell because we all kind of go well once you forgive you, you got to forgive again yeah you will choose to forgive again and again and again she said it's like ringing a bell anybody ever rung a bell at a steeple anybody do that you grab the thing and it's so hard. You pull with all your strength, everything. In fact, if, you're, you know, if, you're, if it's a, a hard enough bell to pull, you have to get all your weight into this thing. And she says, you barely, when you pull it, you barely hear a bing. You don't even hear hardly anything. But then you, have to, you, you pull again. And then you pull again. And you keep pulling. And she says, as you keep pulling, eventually it starts to get a momentum. And what you may find in your life is as you forgive someone, you make the choice to do it. You make the choice to do it again and again because it's going to come up. A circumstance is going to come up and you're going to forgive. And there will be a momentum to it. And eventually you find yourself, eventually you can be just going like this. And, and the bell is just ringing. The freedom of forgiveness begins to just ring out in your heart because you've made the choice like Jesus to forgive. I'm going to ask you to stand as we close. There may be an opportunity this morning for you before God, and you've never established this relationship with Him, and He sent Jesus to die on the cross. He paid for your sins so that your debt would be removed from you. You don't have to make it happen anymore. You just admit it, receive the gift of forgiveness now in the name of Jesus. Just say, Jesus, I recognize my need. I humble myself before you. I recognize that you have taken my sin and paid for it, and I thank you for it, and I, I receive now your forgiveness. Some of you who have established that relationship need to move to a place where you begin to start maintaining it. You need a soft heart. You need to recognize that your feet are getting dirty. And you need to spend time before God and recognize that. Some of you are harboring bitterness and anger right now, even as I speak. And you have the opportunity to choose love and peace. Because we know there's only three things that are going to remain throughout life. It's faith, hope, and love, says Paul. So why would you want to stay in the stuff that's not going to make a difference? If there's a person that comes to mind you know you need to get right with, if God's bringing it to your mind right now, would you make a commitment before him and say, God, I will. I will make things right with this person. And I just say to us as a church, 
Let's be about genuine community and let's learn all the lessons around this forgiveness that we need to learn. In Jesus' name, amen.